Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a special Friday evening episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. Why am I doing a special episode? Because a very special movie just came out, and I had the pleasure of interviewing director Brian Skiba for his movie, My Adventure with Santa. And uh, I stayed up late to watch it last night, hoping that the link would be available at midnight. And lo and behold, Amazon released the link early. I actually could have watched it earlier, and uh, I didn't. But I did get a chance to watch it, and I'll tell you about that in just a couple minutes. First, we have a few things to talk about before we talk about the thing that we're here to talk about. Uh, I want to update you guys on the Music Black Friday sales. Uh, once again, my friends over at Best Service are having their uh, their sale that's already started. It goes on for a little while, but make sure that you grab those deals. I believe that they are now throwing in uh, a free EQ. Uh, I believe it was with some of the purchases. I just saw that uh, as I clicked off of the internet. And uh, so check that out at bestservice.com. Also, from uh, November 28th to December 3rd, Sound Theory will be having a sale. They are the makers of the wonderful EQ Gullfoss, G-U-L-L-F-O-S-S. Check that out on their website, soundtheory.com. And these links, of course, will be in the show notes. I believe Audionamics, my buddies who I absolutely do not do a single podcast without using IDC, the Instant Dialogue Cleaner, will be on sale as well as some other products of theirs coming up uh, very shortly. They're just confirming the dates and then they will let me know and I will forward that on to you guys. Uh, so some really cool stuff. Of course, I mentioned Waves is having their sale, which, you know, is is just like their regular sale, a bunch of stuff for 30 to 45, 50 bucks. Um, they really do make some incredible stuff. And I, I use their stuff all the time. In- interestingly, the podcast is one of the few things I don't use any Waves products on, because really the only thing that I use is just the uh, instant dialogue cleaner from Audionamics. That seems to be the only thing I really need to make this work. And of course, my staple DAW is Cakewalk by BandLab. Now, I love, I've been a Cakewalk user since it, uh, shortly after it came out, I think I was on version 4.2 back in the uh, the mid to late 90s, somewhere in there. I really didn't embrace the digital technology for a while, but uh, eventually I'm so glad that I did. And I'll be talking about that on an upcoming podcast as my buddy and amazing audio engineer and guitar player, Randy Rohrbach, returns to the show. We haven't heard uh, from Randy in a, a little while on the show. I talk to him all the time. Um, great guy and i and i'm really looking forward to bringing you guys that podcast as well uh in some other interesting news you may remember gabrielle stone who was on the show a couple of months ago talking about her book eat pray hashtag fml uh, a wonderful uh documented version of her life journey across europe after a a few tragedies struck uh and uh it's it's I have not read it yet. I promised her I will, and I definitely will. I don't have a lot of time to sit there and just read as much as I love reading and would love to read all the works that my friends make. However, she just announced that an audiobook version is coming in 2020, which I'm extremely excited about because that I can find time to actually do, and I will definitely look forward to it. She is reading it herself, which is always the best when uh, when somebody who is telling their own story reads it, much like I enjoyed uh, Justine's Bateman, Justine Bateman's book on fame, Jenna Fisher's book on acting, which if you have not read and you are at all interested in being an actor, 
the Actor's Guide is uh, just an amazing read slash listen. Um, I actually listened to it while I was making Christmas cookies last year, and Jenna bakes uh, a lot of bread. And so I had sent her a picture of me baking cookies while I was listening to her audiobook, and uh, she was kind enough to like that post. She was probably taking a break from baking and uh, at, the, at that moment because she was doing a lot of that that day. Um, let's see, what else do we have? So uh, another Christmas movie, before I get to the Christmas movie that we're here to talk about, another Christmas movie launches tomorrow on the Lifetime Network. This is Christmas in Louisiana that on a previous recent episode, my guest Dee Wallace talked about this movie. It is finally coming out on the Lifetime Network at uh, 8 o'clock, 7 p.m. Central. I'm sure it will be playing over and over as is exclusive to Lifetime. And uh, that stars, of course, the lovely and vibrant Dee Wallace. Barry Bostwick, Jana Kramer, Moria Kelly is making her acting return. Uh, that just sounds like a recipe for a wonderful movie. So check that out tomorrow on Lifetime. And uh, let's see, is that it for housekeeping stuff? Yes, it is. So I... I, I I'm actually incredibly organized today for some reason. I don't normally write all this stuff down. I just kind of go off the cuff, but I had a lot to cover. So I actually wrote it down on notes, made sure I covered everything before I get into uh, today's podcast. Now, uh, I have known Brian for a number of years. We don't uh, connect a whole lot, but from time to time we do. I've seen some of his work. It's very good. He's worked from you know being just an independent local Arizona director all the way up to working now for Universal Pictures, as this current picture, My Adventure with Santa, is uh, is done by Universal Studios. And uh, I got a chance to watch it last night, and I really enjoyed it. It was so wonderful to see Barbara Eden play Mrs. Claus. Uh, definitely not the Mrs. Claus that I wrote about on Haunted Holidays Deadly Christmas 2. She's actually a very lovely, helpful, uh, caring Mrs. Claus. And, and it's so great to see her acting. And uh, she's just one of those people that uh, it just kind of lights up the screen. So uh, that alone, as far as I'm concerned, was worth the price of the rental. Or the price of the the DVD if you go that route, uh, or I think you can I think you could buy digital copies on Amazon now. I don't really keep up with all that, but I, I believe that you can. Um, that was that in itself was just an absolute delight. And then there's also so many other wonderful people in this, as you will see. I'll let Brian reveal all of that to you, but uh, I will say uh, Jamie Lunar was probably my favorite. Uh, seeing her play the. Uh, the sort of antagonist and uh, in a story of Christmas that apparently is is somewhat popular, but I've never heard it, so it was a new thing for me. Uh, it was interesting that that you know the, the comments that people were leaving mostly supportive, but you've always got your people that are like, well, it's not what I wanted to see, so I'm going to tell everybody that I don't like it, and I hate that. You know, if you have something constructive to say, say it. That's great. Something we can all learn from. If you want to say, you know, I don't like love stories. If you're not into love stories, you may want to steer steer clear of this one. Or I don't like children in movies. So if you don't like children, steer clear. That kind of stuff is fine. But to just say, you know what, I it's not what I want to see. So I'm just going to, you know, give this a bad mark and try and ruin it for everyone else. Just, you know, knock it off be constructive. There's nothing wrong with leaving a, 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 a one star or two star rating or, you know, some feedback, but, you know, make it worthwhile. And we talked about this before. Please comment responsibly. So before I bring on uh, Brian for the interview, there's uh, I thought it would be kind of neat to reveal the 
sort of three sacred Christmas movies for me that I actually don't watch until Christmas Eve. Uh, it's a new tradition that I started a couple of years ago. And there's a ton of Christmas movies. Netflix has even got some new ones this year that I haven't had a chance to check out. But um, there's some that I go back to and they aren't the ones that you would expect. Uh, for the record, I do count Die Hard as a Christmas movie. It's not Christmas is not the point of the story, which I think is the bone of contention is that it just happens to occur at Christmas time. But, you know, for me, it's like one of those uh, nostalgic holiday movies. So I personally, I count the first one as a Christmas movie. Um, but looking at it that way, you could also say Rocky Four was a Christmas movie because the fight took place on Christmas in Russia. So uh, it all depends on how you want to look at it. It really doesn't matter if you like the movie, watch it. If you don't, don't. So, um, there's a lot of Christmas movies that I really, really like. And um, as you guys know, when I'm working on Christmas music, uh, I usually do it in July when it's 118 degrees outside. So uh, I try to find some inspiration of the holidays and that by by binge watching Christmas movies, having them on while I'm setting things up and getting ready for the writing and recording sessions. And um, by the time Christmas rolls around, I'm kind of done with Christmas. But this year, uh, I actually wrote and recorded uh, the Haunted Holidays album a year ago and then just did some enhancements to it this summer and did the mixing and mastering. So I did not have to get in the spirit of Christmas because that work was already done. So that actually freed me up to, to start watching Christmas movies now, which I've seen a couple, but there are three that I save and you're never going to guess what they are. I would have a contest, but no one will ever get them. And I don't even know why. It's kind of like, why do I like the the Bring It On series of movies? It's not something that I would ever like. It doesn't fit my taste at all, but some sort of guilty pleasure thing for me. I think they're hilarious, and I don't usually like comedies. So uh, kind of an interesting combination of things for me. So the three movies, and then I'm going to tell you about a movie I absolutely hate that I will never watch again. Uh, So the three movies are, in, in no particular order, A Christmas Crush starring Rachel Boston, And while this is completely out of my element as a movie, Rachel makes it a lot of fun. She's a great, great actress. And I loved her on The Witches of East End. I was very sad when that got canceled. But definitely, uh, she's great in this movie. And I love the music. I love the the versions that they did of Christmas songs and their performances. Um, I thought they were great. So it's kind of like those two elements really bring me back into wanting to see it every year. And it's one of the ones I sort of savor for for the end of the the holiday. Um, the uh, the Twelve Dates of, of Christmas, starring Amy Smart and Paul Mar- Mark Paul Gossamer, I think it is from Saved by the Bell, who you would know as Zach. And as a side note, if you guys want some insight into the reality of Saved by the Bell, uh, there are a series of YouTube's videos called something like "Why Zach Morris Sucks" or something, and it it really talks about just how he manipulates his friends and how they're you know, how they keep taking it back. They're absolutely hilarious to watch. Um, But there is certainly an element of truth. And I've always wondered on sitcoms like that, where there's supposed to be, you know, there's supposed to be some element of a lesson. The lesson is just let people treat you like crap and forgive them and let them do it again. Get suspicious, but fall for it anyway. And so the more I realize that that's the point of Saved by the Bell, it really is kind of a silly show. I mean, you know, there's certain things that were camping over the top, but yeah, that that kind of hit me interestingly when I saw uh, the video. It kind of just brought that thought that I'd had in the back of my head to the front and went, yeah, I, I, I don't really think that I like, particularly like the message of the show, but the show was always fun to watch because it was always shenanigans, but you always knew that everything was going to be fine in the end. And I think if they 
ever just, you know, said, I'm done with you, Zach. I'm not putting up with this crap anymore. Goodbye. Then there wouldn't have been a show because he was obviously the the focal point of that. Uh, so, but he's a very good actor outside of that. I've seen him in a number of things and, uh, and I think he's a very good actor. I think that he had some great chemistry with Amy Smart. Uh, the movie in itself was sort of a Groundhog Day, uh, Christmas movie, but, uh, it was done very, very well. And who doesn't love Amy Smart? I think she's a fantastic actress. So that's, that's one of the other ones that I save, uh, for Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. And then the last one, which this one is my absolute favorite, is uh, Dear Santa, starring Amy Acker, who you might remember from the uh, Buffy spinoff Angel. Uh, She was also on Person of Interest, and I thought she was amazing on that show. Uh, It's interesting to see her so uh, cold and calculated and and, uh, aggressive just completely different than than what you would uh, normally see her in. So this is back to the sort of, you know, sweet girl, and it's a very nice story. Uh, of course, you know, they're cheesy love stories. From five minutes in, you know how they're going to end. You just don't know what the journey is, but you know the destination. But, you know, for me, like, she made me want to go along for the ride. So those are my top three Christmas movies. And the last thing I'm going to do while I'm still rambling on, before I bring on our guest, Brian... I want to tell you why I hate Christmas with the Cranks and why I'll never watch it again. It wasn't until recently when I had it on while I was uh, was doing some marketing and it something dawned on me that I think I realized but kind of ignored. And that is that the cranks don't want to celebrate Christmas, right? And the whole neighborhood's like, well, you have to because it's tradition and, and it hurts us if you don't. And then, it, you know, it just escalates to the point where they're stalking these people. And I know it's supposed to be like light and fun and, and campy and whatever, but at the end of the day, these people are being harassed because they are making a decision to spend Christmas differently than they normally do. And everyone is berating them for it. They're stalking their house. They're sending the carolers over there. They're chasing them down the street. And you know, it's really like the most narcissistic Christmas movie I've ever seen. Then at the end, when, uh, you know, when the they're like, oh, our daughter's coming home, so now we want to celebrate Christmas. And then they're using all the people that have been manipulating them to create this party. Um, then, then you know, Dan Aykroyd is is somewhere in that, that section of the film. I can't remember exactly where it is. So he's like, well, the daughter should never pay for the sins of the father. And I'm like, what? What sin? He didn't want to celebrate Christmas. Leave him the fuck alone. And so I, I actually don't like this movie anymore. And I've seen it probably, I don't know, seven or eight times. But it just dawned on me that the message of this movie is just awful. Like, don't pressure people into things that they don't want to do. If that's a decision that they make, they have a right to live their life the way they want. So knock it off. Uh, obviously, it's a movie. It's, but, but that, you know, those messages get planted in us uh, subconsciously as well. And so, I don't know, to me, it's just a very, very strange movie now that I see it for uh, through that set of eyes. But anyway, we're not here to talk about movies I don't like. We're here to talk about movies I do like. And I have to say that in uh, my adventure with Santa, the uh, the special effects were very good. The dialogue, the mix of this movie is fantastic. Um, 
not just saying that because Brian's my friend or because I did the interview with him, but I actually really did enjoy it. And uh, now for those of you that don't know, there are different tracks that get mixed together before the final print of the, the film is made. You have your dialogue track, which is just all the speaking parts. You have your music track, which is the uh, forward uh, score and the underscore. And then you also have your effects tracks, which is all the uh, any special effects sounds, any uh, Foley that was done, like the, the sound of doors slamming, um, you know, uh, people lighting the the Christmas tree, plugging in the, the lights or whatever, uh, the crackling fire, like all that stuff gets thrown onto the uh, special effects track. So those three tracks have to get mixed together. And, and it's almost invariably as an audio engineer, which I'm going to be extremely picky about, uh, the, the whole thing is done where there's at some point like, oh my God, that was too loud. Or I wish that the dialogue was louder. This movie is mixed beautifully. I did not have to mess with my volume control one time. And that is pretty rare for me. So kudos on that. It, visually, it's stunning. Uh, and it's a good story. So uh, check it out on Amazon. The links are in the show notes, the links to all the sales I mentioned. Also to uh, to D's Christmas movie, Christmas in Louisiana. That link is also in there. Again, that premieres tomorrow on the Lifetime Network. But for my adventure with Santa, you can get that right now on Amazon.com. You can uh, you can rent it. You can purchase it. Uh, you can stream it and watch it right now because it's available as I did last night. And uh, I think that, uh, you know, 16, 17 minutes is enough of me babbling. Let's get to our guest and learn more about this wonderful movie, My Adventure with Santa. Let's talk to Brian Skiba. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to bring on my next guest, Brian. Uh, we've known each other for uh, quite some time, but we haven't uh, seen each other in forever. And, but I'm happy to reconnect with him and bring him back on the show now to talk about a couple of movies that he's uh, been working on that uh, you should definitely see. Let's welcome to the show, Brian Skiba. Brian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. I, I don't know why lately, the last couple of days, I've sounded like I've had a cold and I don't. I feel fine, but my voice is a little weak. So bear with me if you would. Yeah, no problem. No problem. So let's uh, let's talk about this new movie that you have coming out for the holidays. Go ahead and uh, give us a little synopsis because it hasn't hit uh, it hasn't hit the shelves yet, but it will be very soon. Uh, it's called My Adventures with Santa. Uh, basically, uh, a family, uh, a husband, wife, and a son, uh, their son and their daughter, um, find a magic snow globe and get transported to the North Pole, where they uh, help Santa defeat Labafana who's the elf queen, who's decided that she should be the new Santa and is trying to take over Christmas. Ooh, that's a nice new twist on it. Yeah. Labafana is actually um, the Italian Christmas witch. So it's, it's, it's got some roots. Uh, so those who like to uh, dig into, you know, art, you know, want, want to go and Google Labafana, you'll find all sorts of fun stuff. Very interesting. What uh, now? You've done a, a another Christmas movie in the past. Is there something specific that attracts you to this genre? Uh, it, it's just seasonal. I mean, every you know, it, everybody there, there, there's an appetite for Christmas movies every year, and so it, it's it's definitely uh, job security. And uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, for sure. Probably, I think that's probably more it than most anything. I mean, I. I enjoy Christmas as much as the next guy, but you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, they're Christmas movies are, uh, uh, you know, they're fun. Your family can watch them. And, uh, so yeah, I, I enjoy doing. It. 
That's awesome. I, you know, I kind of feel the same way with Christmas music because, uh, you know, most years I do a Christmas album or at least a single or something uh, new that's holiday oriented. Do you think it's the nostalgia of our childhood or do you think it's really making new memories that, that we enjoy going forward? Uh, it's both. I, I think for me, um, you know, there's definitely some nostalgia there, um, <clears throat> You know, and then and then uh, and then making new memories with my children and sharing the nostalgia with them. So, you know, hopefully it carries forward, um, you know. Yeah, I think Christmas seems to be the most timeless thing that we've experienced in uh, in our lives. It, it's gone on well before us and it'll go on well after us. Uh, but but definitely that warmth and love uh, has a lot to do with it. But I really love that people are making new movies still and finding new angles to tell the story of the holidays. Uh, the last one you did uh, starred Dean Kane, did it not? Um, I've done, I think, three Christmas movies with Dean. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah, no, we've done uh, we've done a few, and uh, you know, so Dean and I are very close, and we actually are uh, in pre-production on a soccer movie that Dean Dean plays a soccer co- or football coach that gets penalized and has to coach a girls' soccer team. Oh, that's a neat concept. Yeah, so uh, we'll. We'll be in production on that um, in the spring. Very cool. I like that you just you, you seem to have an endless stream of projects to work on, but I imagine that it's taken an awful lot to, of work to get to this point. Um, you've been at it. Uh, well, you and I met sometime in the, uh, I would say, mid uh, decade of 2000 when you were shooting. Uh, was it Blood Moon Rising, I think? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah that, that, uh, we shot Blood Moon Rising about eleven years ago. Yeah, yeah. Wow, it has been a long time. And then you and I uh, also did a panel for the IFP in Phoenix, uh, a filmmakers panel, which was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, that was good times. Yeah. <laughs> so when you when you're looking at doing a Christmas movie, obviously, you know, living in California, there's certain challenges about what you can do weather wise. You would have a, a huge cost of creating a lot of snow to to create sort of a winter wonderland feeling. Uh, how do you work with that? What's the challenges of doing a Christmas movie when you're not shooting at Christmas time? Um, uh, just like you said, a- a- avoiding palm trees is probably the hardest. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, a, a lot of the Christmas movies, I, I guess, let's say the, um, my adventures with Santa was filmed in Connecticut. So I didn't have to worry too much about that. And and the North Pole was created basically um, wasn't a soundstage. It was an it was an old armory that just, you know, really fit that kind of uh, New England uh, North Pole feel that I was going for. Um, you know, and then our exterior shots did. You know, we we didn't have to worry about too much because there was trees and there was snow and uh, and uh, there wasn't a lot of snow, though. So when we did it, we still had to make fake snow. We still had to, uh, you know, cover the houses. And then um, a week after we wrapped, of course, it dumped four feet of snow. So, (laughs) of course, yeah. Um, But uh, filming in L.A., Christmas movies is very difficult. It's it's uh, you know we have to create everything. So we dress all the houses. We have to get snow machines. It's it's a process and and it can be expensive, um, you know. But I think we've gotten pretty good at faking it. So. Yeah, it, well, that's the thing is it's it's really about creating the illusion, just like in any movie. I mean, you'll people will go to Vegas to shoot exterior shots, and then they'll shoot all the interior stuff in California or New Mexico or somewhere else. But you get the feeling that it's shot there. 
um, just just because of the way that uh, it's it's edited and you kind of just plant the seed in someone's head. I would imagine it's the same with that. But is it is it less costly to do it in L.A. than it would be to, say, go somewhere where there is snow like Alaska? Um, really depends on the project. I mean, Alaska has got a good tax incentive. Um, you know, it, it all depends on, on your, on your budget. So, you know, if I was, it, it, you know, if I was on a, um, SAG modified type budget, which is 600 or less, um, I would probably tend to stay in California just because, um, you're not going to get a great tax break and the flights and per diem and everything is going to eat up your costs. Mm-hmm. Whereas, whereas if you're over 750 and, um, if you're over 750, definitely go somewhere else because, you know, the, the tax breaks are, are great all over. I mean, Alaska's got a great one, Connecticut, um, Ohio, I mean, uh, New Mexico, which they're just, they're plentiful. And uh, a lot of other states are, are, are really, welcoming to uh cruise you know so it's a, uh, it's you know it, it really depends i think on on budget for me so that's that dictates a lot oh sure and i would imagine too if you're if you're somewhere remote like alaska there would be additional challenges like you don't have uh, easy access to equipment or things that you might need that uh, happen along the way yeah no i i, I filmed <clears throat> last year i was filming in uh, florida in tampa uh, and then we weren't in the city. We were outside the city at a place called St. Petersburg, and we're actually on an island uh, outside St. Petersburg called uh, Egmont Key. And, of course, when we get there, we realized that the camera house put the wrong lens adapter on. Oh, so we, no. we we had an EF adapter, and we were shooting with PL mount lenses. Fortunately, we had a set of EF lenses that we could get by with for the day while the house shipped us everything overnight. Whereas in L.A., we could have had that within an hour or two and, and, you know, not have to deal with that. So yeah, it's, it's always an issue and it, and it becomes, and it becomes costly if, if mistakes are made. Whereas in LA, you know, every, everything's so close. I mean, it's, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a Mecca for filmmaking. Sure. And there's only so much that you can do to shoot, you know, around a, a day of being down for one thing, you can only rearrange so much to really take advantage of that time. I would think. Yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You you flip your schedule around, you try to make it work, but it's uh, it gets difficult. See, this is the advantage I have of being a composer, because I just sit at home and I don't have to worry about any of those things. That stuff you guys all take care of. And, you know, I just sit home where it's cozy and uh, and coffee is within a, an immediate reach. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, no. Last year I was, uh, when I was on that Tampa show, it basically rained. That's the most wet I've ever been. I spent 15 days basically soaked, and uh, and it was, uh, it was either, uh, it, but it was beautiful. You know, we're out on an island. It was warm. It was warm rain, so you could just stand in the rain and let it pour. But it, it definitely uh, wreaked havoc on your feet by about day three. You know, because it was just constantly wet. And um, but it was it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a good show. That one's Deadly Excursion. It's actually out on Lifetime and Amazon and all over the place. So. And it turned out so nice. And they, yeah, they've ordered a part two that we start filming. I hope in December. Oh wow! Okay, so uh, you know that's a that's a really good sign too because they they're so sketchy about putting money into anything these days. That's a, a really good uh, solid belief in what you do and in, in your product that they're willing to go for a second one. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it rated well and, and uh, it's a good film. We we have some. We have some solid actors in that one, Corin Nemec and Samara Armstrong, Ali DeBerry. So, 
it's a good cast. And, uh, nice. Yeah. Now, do you what when you started out doing films, uh, were you in Phoenix? I don't know why I keep thinking that you guys lived in Texas. No, we lived in Phoenix. It's just I um, <clears throat> it's kind of strange on my um, uh, my first film, um, Entertainment One picked it up and distributed it. And I met a producer who had produced the movie Narc. And he had two films in Texas that he was trying to complete. And so he hired me to go finish one of his movies because the, the director didn't know what he was doing. It was a mess. So he said, hey, I'm going to send you out there and finish it. So I went to Texas and finished his movie called Snuff. I think I think it's actually called Slaughter Creek. Um, but um, <clears throat> they always change the names on me. But um, uh, they, I did that film. And then... Um, uh, cleaned it up for the guy, and uh, he said, "Okay, let's do uh, let's do a couple more." That's when we did uh, um, uh, "Dirty Little Trick," and uh, that was Dean Kane and Michael Madsen. And then um, on my way of flying back and forth from Texas, I, I had met a woman, Kim Hughes, who wanted to, who wanted to make some movies as well. So she hired me to go to Texas and uh, make a film out there. And uh, we did that. And then we ended up going back two more times. And so that's, that was our Texas connection. And then I had a partner, Cody Jones, who, uh, who came in and gave us a lot of um, support. Um, really, uh, you know, I, I don't know I'd be where I'm at if it wasn't for Cody. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago, but um, you know, uh, that's, so that, that, that was our Texas connection. So, um, you know, that, yeah, that explains why I associate you with Texas because you've had so much interaction down there. Um, but when you when you were just shooting in Phoenix, I mean, there's a there's a really big difference with working with no budget and really creating something, uh, you know, on a wing and a prayer almost, which you've done very well. How did it feel the first time that you had a real budget to work with? Um, <clears throat> it was it was interesting. I mean, the the, the first time I had. You know, uh, on you know, seven figure million dollar over million dollar budget was a film called uh, Christmas Truce. Um, it was it was filmed in Vancouver, Canada, and it was for Ion Channel. And so when um, and you know, it's it's uh, it's it comes out every year on on some network. Uh, I, I don't know which network it's going to be on this year, but it's you know you can also pick it up on DVD. But it's a World War II movie, and so you know they had. You know, you know, when I first got there, it was it was a totally different experience than doing, you know, micro or smaller budgeted films. It was, you know, it was all of a sudden you have a big staff and I, ha- I had a staff and I have, I have my own office. And, you know, and everybody's yes, yes, ma'am, what can I get you? And, uh, you know, and it's literally you're allowed to focus on the creative rather than all the pol- politics and where's my camera and where's my stuff. You know, it's it, it was a uh, much more liberating um, you know, I, you know, you know, I show up on set and literally there's 15 trailers and they go, here's, here's your room, sir. And I'm going, I, I have a room. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And, uh, that's about the last I ever saw in that room. Cause you know, I, I'm still, I'm still me, you know? And I think that's why, um, I, 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 I fortunately am blessed with work. And so, because, you know, um, I, I'm I, I love filmmaking, and and so I love being on set. I'm not I'm not a guy that goes and hides in the trailer, um, you know. And so it's it was it was it was liberating to know that I had 
so much at my disposal and i think we made a really great film that's that's done well and, and will be timeless we still i still get emails on that movie saying you know i watch it every christmas type thing so it's another christmas film um, you know and so since then i i've you know i've run the gamut um and now it's now it's like you know i've done i've done a bunch of big films i just did a film with ryan Phillippe. is is a big budget film you know lots of explosions you know we had you know, tons of trailers. I mean, it was just, you know, it's, it was, uh, it was, and so, you know, but you get to a point as a, as a creator, um, I think it's, you know, the only way I can relate it would be like with music. It's, it's great to play with the band, but once in a while it's nice to go solo. So, yeah. And I think that's kind of where it's at as filmmaking as well, where you, where you see guys like David Fincher and stuff like that, they'll go do, They'll go do a, a really huge studio picture, but then every so often they pop out an indie film. And of course, they say their indie film was still millions of dollars, even though it wasn't, you know, because they don't want anybody to think that they're doing something for less than millions of dollars. Right. Or that they can, because then they won't get the budget next time. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, that's that's the thing is... Um, so it's it's nice it's nice um, you know so sometimes it's liberating to break away and go do something that's that's completely kind of your own and creative and and um, you know so I I have opportunities to do that as well which is nice so but I, I um, it's you know it, it, it's it's definitely uh, it's definitely liberating to walk onto a big set and, and uh, be able to focus on directing and not so much of the uh, the politics or the, the technicals, you know, stuff. So right, or or we're we're out of water for the set, and I only have eight dollars left on my credit card, and <laughs> I got to make this last for three more days. Yeah did you did you find that in the beginning of that uh, that you were really conservative financially still, or did you kind of feel like okay, I, I've always wanted to do this, and now I have an opportunity. Because uh, it just seems like because you're so used to being on tight budgets that it would be natural to be to to not feel like you really have that play yet. Um, <clears throat> I don't. I mean, I'm you know the no matter what if it's if you know if you got a couple million bucks or you got ten million, I mean, you're, you're, it seems to go. You know, it all seems to go very quickly, and you know, and it goes it goes fast, and um, you know, and it just. It, for me, it seems like bigger budgeted stuff just gets you more toys and more creature comforts. And, um, you know, but at the end of the day, it's still about telling a story. So if you, no matter how much money you have, if you don't tell a good story, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if it's going to help you or not. So I, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, you know, for for me, uh, when the producers come to me and say you've got a million bucks, go go make an action film or go make a Christmas movie or whatever it is, I still try to squeeze in as much production value as I can and put everything on the screen that I can, you know, um, just like I was when I only had you know fifty thousand. So. Sure. Well, and and that's the thing is that if you're if you're not telling the story, you don't have anything. It doesn't matter how good it looks. At the end of the day, no one's going to want to watch it again or recommend it to other people to check out. Yeah, it's it's really good that you keep the focus on that because that really is what we do. We're storytellers at the end of the day, whether it's music or a film or or you know a music video. Uh, that's really what we do. But you you touched on something really interesting. So I, I love that you get people coming back to you every year and saying, um, you know, how much they love this movie. 
that's the biggest compliment that you could pay somebody in the arts. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. That's great that it gets the distribution. And and like you said, too, as you get uh, distributed in different countries, they do change the name on you, and you really don't have any control over that at all. No, I don't. I, I, I don't. I, I, I mean, I have, I, I have the highest rated uh, afternoon TV movie in Spain's history, um, but I don't. You know, I, I don't have. I don't. I, I, they totally changed the name, so I don't even know what it's called. But you know, <laughs> right, um, you know, he, he, here in the U.S., it was it was uh, um, called Running Away. Um, but um, yeah, it, it 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 did. You know, did Gangbusters in Spain? They really loved it. It's it, you know. So, um, but again, I don't. You know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know um, what the title would be. So it's it's um yeah, it's very interesting how. Um, international markets work yeah and and that's all handled outside of your scope typically right the studio usually handles all the distribution side yeah well yeah exactly the studio or the network so i I do a lot of uh you know i work in tv a lot so a lot of my stuff is, is through networks so each network will will take the movie and either rename it however they see fit um you know so when it goes to all these different countries i mean you know like my Christmas movies go to you know ma- mainly go to Spain, France, England, uh, Italy, um, and Germany, and uh, so it really hits those countries. And then you know the smaller countries get it as well, but those are the really bigger markets that it hits. Um, and then um, so uh, you know it, yeah, so I mean it's it's uh, it, it's it's nice, um, and uh, I, I definitely enjoy the the international stuff. I have I have. Uh, it's funny. I always, I always, every year I'll get a, um, you know, a German fan or somebody email me, and, and uh, I, I have, I have one German fan that emails me um, probably every other week, just about, um, you know, are the, are the fires okay? Are you okay? You know. Oh but, wow! Yeah. The United States should, uh, you know, the United States should take all its bombers and fill them with water. What he told me. Well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that. I don't know how uh, costly or, or uh, easy that would be to do, but you've got the ocean right there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, but it's 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 fun, man, and, and um, you know, I, I appreciate all the fans. You know, they're they're, uh, I've, you know, I find they're pretty loyal. Um, you know, but you know, I, I, I direct a pretty broad spectrum of films, mm-hmm. so. Um, it seems like I hit, you know, like with Rotten Tell, I, I hit that kind of grindhouse, um, you know, slapstick kind of uh, comedy, you know, edgier kind of stuff. Um, I think one producer called it schlock, but you know, <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, you know, yeah, it is, it is schlock. But you know what? Sometimes I like schlock. You know, I sure. like, I, you know, that's that's me as a person. Is you know, I. I grew up on um, cheesy Mel Brooks movies and things like that. And so, um, yeah, uh, you know, and, and, and in today's uh, temperature and political society, not everybody's uh, not everybody's into that kind of satire, but um, there there's, there's definitely a market for it and it does very well. Oh, certainly. And do you find though, that are are there things that you don't want to work on because the climate is so dangerous these days? Um, yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, for me, the things I don't want to work on are things that have actors pre-attached. Um, that's, that's pretty much, um, that'll be like my first, and I'm not going to do it. 
Um, if I'm on a project, yeah, because um, if if producers have gone out and pre-attached, you know, actors or um, actors that are paying to be in the movie, it, it typically, um, you know, it, it's limiting as a director because part, you know, a big part of directing is is casting, and and that's that's a big part is is finding the people to play the characters. Um, um, because that's, you know, I mean, uh, Chris Kane, who's, who's a mentor of mine, he directed Young Guns and Pure Country and all that. He, um, I asked him, you know, he came on set and, and actually uh, hung out with me on a movie. One of my movies came every day and just, you know, hung out and we chatted and, you know, um, you know, and it, it was, it was great to have a director of that caliber actually sitting next to me on one of my movies, watching what I'm doing and giving me insight on, on directing. And at the end of the, at the end, when we finished and wrapped, he came to me and said, you know, you're, you're doing everything right. You, you know, you got it down. He said, the one piece of advice I have, have for you is casting, 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 you know? Um, and so fight for your cast. And he told me a story because he did the, the next karate kid, which I think starred Hillary Swank and him, him and, um, I don't remember the, I think it was Joel Silver or somebody like that was the producer on it. Well, they had a big fight over who was going to be the next karate kid and then ended up being decided over a coin flip. But, you know, but that's, that's how important casting was to Chris. And so I've, I've kind of, I've kind of taken hold of that and said, okay, I really gotta, I really gotta up my game with, with uh, the actors because it's, um, that's what hurts you the most. I mean, you know, I, I do a lot of films and, and, um, you know, the, the biggest critique you get as a director is, ah, oh, you know, that actor kind of wasn't good. You know, I wasn't into them and, um, or the actor pulled me out of it or whatever it is. And, um, and so that's, that's what, I think that's the, the biggest thing that causes me to pass these days is, is, is I'll get a script and then I'll, then, you know, it'll be from an indie producer or whatever. And, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I have 10, 10 of my buddies in the show. And I'll be like, hey, yeah, nah, you know, I'm not, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm definitely a big fan of the belief that you make or break your movie at the casting stage. You know, I mean, there's a lot that could happen after that, of course, but but you're really making all your decisions for the movie right there. You are. You are. You're making all your decisions. And, and I don't think I don't think a lot of people realize that. And, and then you're dealing with a lot of then you're dealing with a lot of a lot of uh, people who think they're actors and 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 or want to be actors and and it's great you know at one point I wanted to be a director you know I but I had to learn to to become that you know I I, I went to school for it I I I sharpened my axe so to say you know I I, I um, lived and breathed and drank uh, directing and editing and. and you know, everything that I've, you know, done in the last 20 years has just been aimed at becoming a better filmmaker. Um, I don't think actors, I don't think, you know, there, there are definitely actors that do that and they become very successful, you know. Um, but then you've got the actors who think it's just, uh, I, I can just turn it on and off. And it's like, you know, um, acting's a craft just like anything. And, and you've got to study it and you've got to go to classes and you you've got to treat it just like you would if you were a surgeon you know and and if you take it with that kind of seriousness you're going to get good you're going to get better you're going to learn the the skills you're going to learn how to you know be a good actor but unfortunately we live in a world where a lot of people have a lot of money and they just think if they throw down you know a couple hundred grand they, they can be a star of a movie 
It's like, yeah, okay, well, you know, that you might be, I don't know, you know, so. Well, I would say you, you might be the star of one movie and that'll be about the end of that. Yeah, you know, and that's really it. So, um, yeah, so it's it, those are the ones I'm I'm trying to steer clear of because it's it seems I'm at the point now in, in my career where it's like I'm, I'm you know it's it's uh, I, I want to be you know I definitely uh, you know I, I want I, I want my films to every film to be something uh, up on uh, the next level mm-hmm. and that's and that's definitely with my adventures with Santa you know it, it's it's next level because. I really fought for that cast. You know, I, I've got some outstanding actors. I've got, uh, you know, I've got Denise Richards and Patrick Muldoon who, you know, um, you know, uh, I remember sitting in, in the movie theater watching, uh, Starship Troopers going, Holy shit, this movie's fucking awesome. And, uh, you know, and then I'm working with these guys, you know, uh, 18 years later, whatever it is, you know, 20 years later. And, um, you know, and I've, I've worked, I've basically worked with everybody, but Neil Patrick Harris and, you know, and they're, and they're all pros. I mean, Paul Beerfelden wasn't very, you know, he's a smart dude and he knew casting. So I, I got lucky. I got, I got Denise and Patrick who are just splendid and amazing actors. And then I really, really scored with Barbara Eden. Cause it's like, I mean, you know, I dream of genies. I mean, she, she, she's the golden age, man. Mm-hmm. You know, she's the golden age. So to be able to, to have Barbara, to, to go to, to go to breakfast with Barbara Eden and then her to look at you and go, I think you got what it takes. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'm going to come on your cast. Um, that as a director, that's some amazing validation that I, you know, that was just like, you know, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm here in Hollywood sitting with Barbara Eden and she's going to be in my movie. You know, that's, that's like, all right, you know, I, I, you know, I've worked so hard to get here. Here it is, here it is, you know, and, um, you know, that, that felt really great. And, um, and Barbara was just, I mean, she's, she's classic, man. She just turns on that, that, that butter and, and just knows, you know, knows how to look at the camera. She's, she's smart. Um, she's, you know, she just, uh, still you know still she just she has it it never goes away once you have it it doesn't go away it doesn't matter your age and um and that was great you know and and uh you know and then i got jamie lunar who's uh who was off of melrose place mm-hmm. to play to play lobafana and and jamie is 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 a character actor she just you know she she she's like she's every bit of a, of a female johnny depp she she just comes in and builds these characters and they're so much fun and love of fauna is just so much fun and uh you know and 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 then um all my local cast you know at first it was you know i, I felt like we might be slipping into this you know let's just hire who's who's convenient you know when i got to connecticut it was and we were kind of slipping there and I was like, hold on guys, this is universal. You know, this is universal studios. This, this, this isn't, you know, this, this isn't just um, some Joe Schmo, you know, selling DVDs on the side of the road. This is universal studios. And to me that meant something because, you know, when I, when I did blood moon rising, I remember showing it to a guy and, and, you know, we, we were, we were watching some, or we, he, we watched some of it and then he's like, Oh, he check out this movie. It's kind of like your movie. You know, he did that thing and he, he throws in his, that hit the movie he had. And I don't remember what movie it was. And the universal logo came up and I said, Hey, someday that's going to be on the front of my film. And he's like, yeah, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yes, it is. And I was like, you know, and I, I was like, okay, well, you know, whatever. So, 
to have to actually achieve that and actually be there to where it's like, okay, I have the universal logo on the front of my film. I'm part of that alumni now. You know, that that was important enough to me to go, hey, guys, we need to hire. We're not just going to hire whomever's convenient. We're going to hire who's right for the part. So we went through a lot of Santa Clauses and we ended up with Eric Devine. Unfortunately, he passed away earlier this year. So he, he, he did his ADR. And, and then passed away two weeks later. And yeah. And, and so that was, that was tough. You know, it was, it was tough because he, he's, you know, he by far was one of, you know, by far he was the best Santa I've, I've ever worked with. I've done Santa, I think um, a handful of times and, and uh, him and another actor named Bill Lewis, best Santas I've worked with. Um, but Eric was just, you know, um, he was top notch and, and it was because that's the way he genuinely was. He was a kind soul. And I remember he came to me and we had, we had this, I had, I had written this line because the movie's really about families and, um, you know, um, you know, and, and I had written this line and it was, it was like, you know, um, families may change throughout your lifetime or, 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 or it's basically like families are forever kind of thing. But, but he came over and he wanted to make it, um, he wanted to make it a global statement, you know, you know, families may change form over your lifetime, you know? And, and when he, and when he brought that in, I was just like, God, that's amazing because he's right. Families will, family will change form through your lifetime, but families are forever. Once you have a family, you know, it's forever. And, and, that's the statement in the movie he makes and it's just, it's just beautiful. And so he was an actor that brought something and, and just, just, just outstanding and incredible loss to the, to the New York acting community. Um, you know, I, and then I had two wonderful kids, you know, I went through a lot of kids. I probably went through, I don't know. Um, well, at least girls, I only went through about 10 and then I found Reese. She was just, she was it. She, she, she has that, you know, there's actors out there that just have it, you know, and that she's one of those. Um, but boys, I went through, I don't even know, man, 75, I don't know. Wow. And, and, and then I found Dante and, um, and, and he was, he was, um, he was it, man. You know, once I found him and I put him next to Reese and we put them in a room and did a chemistry test, it was like, these are, these are their brother and sister, even though they're by no means related. It was, uh, it was great. And so we, we went off to the race and, and fortunately I ended up with some great producers behind me and I, I had Phil Goldfine, Ben Dang, David, David Gear and Chelsea Vell, who all watched my back, man. I mean, they just, they, it was, uh, they saw the vision and the minute we started building the, the North pole set, everybody was like, this movie's going to be something. This movie's going to, this movie is, is something bigger. And, 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 you know, sometimes you get on set and you're like, ah, man, I don't know about this film. I just, you know, um, that wasn't the case on this one. This one, everybody got on the set and was just like, this is Christmas. This is Christmas. You know, we, we were filming it and, uh, we filmed it uh, in November. We actually we filmed it a year ago, right now, and we, I was on set right now, and um, and it was you know it was it was great, man. I mean, it was just really really a, a, a great atmosphere, um, and we knew it was going to be something special. So um, very you know very excited to finally get to share it with the world. You know, Universal is is uh, ecstatic about the film. They've a- they have asked me back to film uh, to do another one for them next year. Great. 
Yeah. Well, when you were casting the kids, I mean, because you had gone through so many of them, at some point, did it become kind of a daunting task? Or were you like, no, we're just going to find these people and we're going to make this work? Um, it, it was, it was, it was a, no, we're going to find the people and, and it's going to be the right people because, um, you know, everybody has friends. Right. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has friends and they're, you know, there was, there was definitely the, uh, the local, um, crowd out there that was, you know, that was helping produce the film that had their friends that had their kids that wanted to be in a movie. And it was like, no guys, um, I'm not doing that. And it, and it definitely, um, you know, it, it added, there were, there was a couple of tense point moments there where I, I had to stand my ground and just say, guys, keep looking, keep looking, keep looking because, um, I, I wasn't going to settle this time. Um, you know, settling has gotten me in trouble, um, more often than not. And, and, it, and it was like, it's universal. I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to end up with a kid that can't act, that can't, you know, that can't give us the emotion and, you know, I was going to bury my film. And so, yeah, it, it was definitely a fight, but that's, that's, that's what directing is. That's part of directing. You know, it's, it's, it's part, you know, you fight for your cast, you know, and you take it all the way to the coin flip, even though you're working with one of the biggest producers in the world, you know, Chris Kane took it to a coin flip because that's how important his cast was. And, you know, and for me, it was the same thing. It's like, I, I you know, I didn't make any enemies and everybody that, you know, um, I pushed back on, we're still all friends and, and we're talking about doing more movies, but you know, it, it, it it, it is. It's. It's. You, you, at some point, you got to draw a line and be like, "This is. This is. This is where I'm going to take my uh, make my stand." And casting the kids was was it for me. So. Sure. Well, and and it, it's not always what you do; it's how you go about doing it. I mean, if you're just an ass and you're treating people badly to get what you want or to step over people, that's one thing. If you could find a diplomatic or friendly way to all work together to get that result obviously you're going to be able to maintain relationships and keep a good reputation and more people are going to want to work with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, I, I tell everybody is when I start a movie and I'm working with new people, it's like, look, um, you know, there's, there's a couple of things you want to know about me. I, I love being here. I love making movies. Um, this every day I'm on a set is, is not, is not a day of work. It's, it's, it's a passion. And so I'm, I'm not, I'm not here to be an asshole, you know, um, you know, it's, it's, and, and you shouldn't be either. You know, I, I feel like, I feel like there's a lot of, there are, there are, there's some entitlement definitely, but there are those times where, um, you know, you're in the 11th hour and you've still got a page and a half to shoot and, you know, people are screwing around. It's, it's like, you know, so it, it, it's definitely, it's definitely a juggle because the other part of directing is management. You know, I mean, there's just, there's, there's a lot of management that goes on with directing and, and yeah, you've, you've got to learn how to manage people. You've got to learn how to be political. You've got to learn how to take care of people because if you do treat them like shit, they're not going to want to come back. And, and, um, I'm fortunate enough that I have a, an outstanding crew. I have, you know, three or four DPs that are all award winning, um, you know, and, they they're if i call them up they're ready to go you know and um you know that's that's fortunate you know i'm very fortunate in that matter and and i treat them right you know i treat them with respect as as, as they should be treated well i think there's an amount of it being fortunate but i think it's really a lot more that that's what you created 
you know, you create the reputation, you create the trust by, you know, doing things right, by treating people well, by being organized, getting things done. Even if you have to push it, uh, people are more willing to push with you if they feel that they can trust you. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. You know. Well, I, I want to talk a little bit about Rotten Tail, but uh, before we do, I, I you, you'd mentioned that Jamie Lunar's in the film, and that was a, a great call. I, I have to, I owe that woman an apology because when I first saw her, I think it was during, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the show now, Just the Ten of Us was the spinoff of it. Uh, it was Kirk Cameron, whatever the show, the sitcom was that he was on, and they were like a, an extra, and then they spun off into their own show. And she played the just the ditzy older sister so well. But I really, she was one of those people I thought, that's pretty much going to be her career, is this one show that she had when she was a teenager. And she's really gone on to do a lot of great work. Oh, yeah. No, I, I just did another movie with Jamie. She, she's outstanding. I mean, as, as an actress... Um, she's on point. She she shows up prepared. She's got a good attitude. Um, absolutely enjoy working with her. Yeah. Absolutely. To to be fair though, I owe uh, John Ritter and Tom Hanks that same <laughs> that same apology because I thought the same about them. Uh, so obviously, I should not be in casting. <laughs> Uh, but I really like the story that you told about the, you know, when you were you were showing uh, Blood Moon Rising to your friend because it was specifically a Universal logo on the screen. And now you're working with Universal. Did you always know that you were going to make it, or was it was there times where you're like, I just I just want to get there. I just hope I make it. Or did you, were you confident from the beginning? Um, no, <laughs> no. I mean, I'm still not confident. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just it's. You know, it's one of those things where, you you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a filmmaker and I'm, I'm in art and, um, you know, and so it's, it's, um, you know, we, you, you survive from project to project and, and, um, it's, it's not easy. You know, there, there, the thing is, is, um, and I, I think this is the, this is the crux of, of, of filmmaking is that, um, you know, you, those, those people who are seeking, you know, to be, you know, I'm going to be a famous director. I'm going to be a famous movie star, whatever that is. They're 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 chasing um, the wrong thing because if you're chasing fame, you're going to be disappointed because you know e- even those who become famous eventually fall off. And um, you know there are the few that stay on top, but you know you you get people that fall off, and it, and it and it causes a lot of uh, depression and it causes a lot of anxiety. And and we see great great actors and great musicians who you know, aren't in the limelight anymore, um, unfortunately killing themselves, um, because, um, they have that, they have that feeling of I'm not there anymore. And, um, and it's a, it's a tragedy. So it, it definitely is, is, is a very tough industry, um, because of that. But I think, um, you know, for me, you know, I mean, and, and, and there's always, there's always those times where, you know, it's, it's quiet. I call, I call it the quiet times because, there's the times when it's loud, you know, when, when you're at the movie premieres and you're on set and it's like everybody's around you and you're the focus, you're the focus, you're the focus, and everybody's congratulating and talking and it's, and it's, and it's loud, you know, it's loud. And there's those loud times. And then it becomes really quiet. And you get home and, you know, it's, it's been three weeks since somebody's called you and you're like, oh, shit. And what's going on, you know? And, and it's this weird kind of in between. And, um, and I think that's what catches a lot of people in depression is, is those weird in-betweens where it's quiet, you know, and, and um, 
and so yeah it, you know it's it's like yeah it's it's one thing i you know um you know i i, I don't ever feel like i've made it and i think that's what keeps me going is is like you know i think a lot of people would, would get to where i'm at you know um, 20 plus features as a director you know working for universal that kind of thing and and like you would say they would go i i've made it you know and light a cigar for me that's I, I, I've I've achieved a goal, but I don't think I've made it yet because in my heart I still feel like I have more to say and I have I have a calling that I'm I'm, I'm I, I haven't fulfilled yet you know and I, I have stories I still want to tell the world and 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 you know and and so I I focus on those during the quiet you know it's like okay I'm gonna write I'm gonna focus I'm gonna build and I'm gonna build and I build and then and then. You know, and then the call comes, and I and I go, and it gets loud again. But uh, you know, I I think that's what you know that that's what drives me daily. You know, is is um, is it, it's not so much you know, am I going to be famous? You know, am I going to be super rich? Is, am I going to be this or that? For for me, it's 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 more. It, it's it's really about um, you know. I have something to say and, and, uh, and, and I haven't said it all yet. So, um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep going until, uh, until I'm done. And hopefully I'm, I'm like Clint Eastwood and I'm 95 and I still have stuff to say. So. Right. Well, and I think I, I really like that because I think that that's what being hungry is what keeps people working. It keeps people working hard and putting out good products. When you start to get too comfortable, People tend to get complacent or they're like, okay, I've made it. Now I can relax. And no, you can't because there's really no such thing as making it in the entertainment business. Everything is a fight. It's a grind all the time. Yeah, no, it is. It's, it's a constant grind. It's, it's a, you know, it's taking meetings. It's, it's, it's rejection. I mean, actors, I don't, you know, actors have it worse than anybody else in this industry. You, you, you can be a first AD, you can be a second AD, you can make a great career out of being a crew member in LA or even in other States at this point right now, you can make, you can make a decent living in the entertainment industry, anywhere in the crew positions and, and do okay. As long as you're committed and you show up and you're willing to work 12 hours, um, you know, you can do okay. Um, actors, I mean, they, they don't get to, you know, they come in with a calling card or real, but I mean, it's it's not necessarily about how great of an actor you are as much as it is do you fit the part so you know if i if i have a movie that has 10 women and one male role in it i'm only casting one guy and and, and you know and and you know i saw 150 guys for that one role and so being an actor is is brutal man i mean it's a brutal brutal um it's a brutal job and and you know your skill level doesn't always um you know, it, it's not like other jobs where skill level dictates success. Right. You can be the most outstanding actor in the world and still be working at Denny's. And that's and that's the travesty with acting, you know, with 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 being an actor, you know. But, you know, you also could get that break and, you know, and, and be set for life. And so, you know, that's that's the thing is, is um, if you feel like that's your dream and, and that's what you want to be, then you got to follow it, man. I mean, you know, I'm, I told my grandfather when I was eight, I was going to be a movie director and that, that was my dream, you know, and, and I, and I followed it even, even in the hard times, even in the times people say, you suck, well, you know, but, you know, there's always haters. There's always people that are going to hate on you. And, um, and, but if you really believe in it and you really, that's what you want to do, then, you know, 
find success in actually doing it. Um, you know, success, success isn't always measured by money or, um, you know, the, the, the big, the big TV show that somebody got success. You know, everybody has their own path and, and, and your success may be, you know, um, you know, somebody's success may be, uh, you know, they, they, they booked three roles this year, even though they're smaller movies, they booked three roles. You know, I booked something, you know, that's, that's a success Celebrate it, And then, stay hungry and go for the next thing. And, um, you know, so that's, and it's the same for me, even, even at the level I'm at now, it's like, I've got, I've got a fair amount of producers that would, you know, give me a project if I called them tomorrow and said, Hey, I'm free, let's go. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to have that, but I'm still hungry. I still want, you know, I still want to climb the ladder. I, I still want to, um, and, and it's not, it's not, I'm not seeking out fame. It's like I said, I'm, I'm seeking out, some, I, I have something to say and, and I'm not done saying it. So. Well, fame is such a fleeting thing. And I just listened uh, recently to Justine Bateman's audiobook on fame. And, uh, and, and it's really amazing how you can be at the, the top of the pinnacle one day and then, you know, you're not working the next day or as soon as your show's over, or your film's done. If you're not in something else right away, people will just forget you completely. And it's such a fickle world that that we live in an entertainment but you're right i mean if you're if you're chasing that you're going after the wrong thing that comes along with the success of the work that we do but that's not what it's about not if you want to be you know if you if you want fame it's going to be very short-lived if you get it yeah no and 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 really the the thing you mentioned about you know um you should be working on something else i've always got um, I don't know. I've always got probably about eight projects in the works mm -hmm. at some, at some stage, you know, whether it be really pre-development or like right now where I've got, I've got, um, let's see, I've got, I've got three projects. Um, you know, one of them that's, that's about to be greenlit, which is the deadly excursion Two. I've got, I've got another project that's out to guide Pierce. Um, he says, yes, we go right into production I've got a I've got another project that um, that's out to uh, Scott Atkins and Ron Perlman. They say yes, we're into production. And then I've got a fourth project in Oklahoma that um, you know is is just waiting on the financing to close. With um, um, oh, am I, am I spacing her name? Uh, the the blonde actress from Battlestar Galactica. Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, I can't remember. I'm, I'm horrible. Um, but anyways, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, I mean, right now I've I've got four projects just you know on, on the on the edge of green light, and they could all go at once, which would be great. It'd be like okay, let's so now now it becomes a scheduling thing, right? Or or none of them can go, and I'm still you know, and and I you know I'm I'm falling back onto you know uh, let's let's go make an indie something you know I mean that's that's the way it, it has to be in order to, you know, maintain um, this, uh, you know, in order to maintain as a director. So, um, you know, and then, and then I have, I've got, I don't know, probably 10 projects, you know, in script phase. And then I've got, you know, another 10 in development. And it's just like, you've always got to be, you've always got to be turning, always turning the wheel, you know, and um, that's, that's important. Like this week's uh, American film market. So I'll, I'll be down there this week, just shaking producers hands, you know, trying to see what, what, what everybody's looking for, what's hot right now, you know, cause one year it's, it's horror. The next year it's, it's action. The next year it's, you know, it, it changes every year from what's hot. You know, um, the only thing that's, the only thing that's not hot all the time is comedy for some reason. Really? No, no, 
yeah, it's it's it really sucks because I love comedy. Um, but um, talk, comedy is comedy is so uh, what do you call it? It's it's so regional, mm-hmm. and yeah. so um, and it's 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 tough. And I think that's where Rotten Tail um, is struggling because it, it's it's a comedy, you know. It, it, and we we had a distributor that came in and said, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna market it as a horror film." And, and Travis McIntyre, who's the producer of the film, David Hayes, who wrote it, and myself, we were like, "I don't think that's the right kind of marketing." And so they took it to market that way, and it's been misperceived. And 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 I think you know it, it, the L.A. Times liked the film. They they gave they gave us great marks on it, and which was surprised the shit. It was the most surprising film. Like it's it's gone backwards from what I thought it would be. So I, I thought like the L.A. Times, you know, um, the the bigger reviewers were going to come in and, and be like, oh, this thing's a piece of garbage. You know, mm-hmm. don't don't ever watch it. And and the guys like Rue Morgue and uh, Dread Central would come in and be like, "This is it, man! This is so much." It was opposite. I, I, have, I have the LA Times, the LA Times, going, "This movie's hilarious." They called me a great genre filmmaker. You know, I mean, stuff I was putting in my uh, in, in my bio. It was like, "Dude, LA Times called me a genre, you know, great genre film. I'm gonna put that in my bio." You know, whereas Rue Morgue was like. This thing's a copycat of blah 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 blah. <laughs> sure. Don't waste your time, you know. And, and it was it was crazy because, you know, these guys that um, who who no longer are distributing the film, you know, thought thought they tried to make it like something else rather than letting it be what it is. And um, and so we we've taken the film back and we're now we're now going to re-release it this Easter as it is, which it's it's a comedy. It's a comedy. It's a spoof. It's it's Mel Brooks. It's you know um, we're going to tighten up the edit a little bit more and and put it out there. And but it seems to do well in the Latin markets. Like it's been accepted to a whole bunch of film festivals in Latin America. Um, but in Europe, we're, it's 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 uh, you know I don't know that it's going to hit well out there. It just doesn't seem to uh, doesn't seem to vibe yet with with their culture. And so. Um, you know, and that's and that's the thing with comedies is it's very comedies are very regional. Um, you know, what Canadians think are funny definitely differs from what we think are funny. Um, you know, and and what Asians think is funny is 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 different than you know. So it's it's just you know, comedies regional, and and it's just it, it's hard to get around it. And, and you know, um, you know, unless you're Adam McKay or somebody like that, that's just you know. Um, you know, they've got the star power, you know, they got Will Ferrell and stuff like that. So. Sure. Well, yeah. And, and interestingly, the uh, the first Hollywood movie that I appear in is a Will Ferrell movie. They shot uh, Everything Must Go in Phoenix. And, and uh, one of my friends was working on the film and she said, uh, send me your high school yearbook photo. And they ended up using it in the yearbook prop. So uh, I wasn't physically in the film, but uh, but yeah, of all the things I could have appeared in, it was uh, it was that Will Ferrell film. But uh, but yeah, you bring up a good point because the the comedy is very very regional. If you don't understand the uh, the the type of humor, what the subject matter is, what the pop culture references are, it's just going to tank. Yeah. yeah, no, it does, it does, and um, you know, and and so I think um, you know, and, and I think that's it. Is 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 Rotten Tail has has confused people because you look at the poster and you go, oh, this is going to be you know, this is going to be Leprechaun or this is going to be Hatchet or this is going to be, and it's like, yeah, it's got elements of that, but it's, it's really making fun of that. 
and and it's a comedy. It's 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 a comedy. It's a spoof. It's Mel Brooks. It's Spaceballs, and um, and that's really you know when 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 David sent me the graphic novel and he and I talked about it. It was you know the reason because David's the one that referred me um, to Source Point to direct was because I had done Blood Moon Rising, which was also kind of a spoof on zombie flicks. And um, and it was like, this is what he was going for as a, as a graphic novelist, is he wanted, he wanted a, uh, you know, he, he wanted, um, he wanted to create a character that you know, was, was humorous in kind of a homicidal way. And, um, you know, and so that's, that's what we, uh, that's what we created. And, um, you know, it's it's definitely found an audience. It's it's doing well. Um, it, it's it's all over the place at the at the comic cons. It's building. Um, it has amazing reviews on Amazon from people we didn't pay. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, I I I believe the project is is going to grow and it's going to be like Evil Dead or um, you know something like that, where it's 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 going to build its fan base over the next year or two, and then suddenly it's going to be like, hey, have you seen that? Have you seen that for Easter? And it, it'll become the Easter kind of horror flick that um it was meant to be but uh upon initial release i think it just confused people well and that's the thing too is that nowadays with uh you know the ability that the internet has and the fact that it's it's not just we go to the theater and we watch the movie and that's it uh uh, movies so many movies even big trouble in little china did not do well in the theater but it had such an amazing cult following that it became an incredibly successful movie Uh, absolutely And, and that's it i mean you know, uh, you're exactly right. Is 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 there's there are films like this, like Rotten Tail, where it's fringe. You know, it's it's a fringe type film. Um, Evil Dead. I mean, yeah. I mean, look, look, e- Evil Dead took forever to, for it to build, and then once it built, they went and made a second one and basically repeated the first one. I mean, you know, because it it, it gained such an audience. Um, and I think films like this that don't get the huge mass release where it's, you know, you're spending millions of dollars on, on advertising to shove it down everybody's throat. It does take time. And, and, and you know, it, it takes time for, for word to spread. And, you know, once the word starts spreading, it, it, it goes, but it, it you know, it'll, it'll take a year or two for films like this to actually find success. And that's, um, you know, and that's something hard to explain to uh, investors, you know, yeah. for, uh, you know, so um, fortunately, on this one, SourcePoint um, has its own kind of distribution channel, and um, they're they're seeing success with it. So um, that's great. So, is there is there a, a a genre of movie or a type of movie that you haven't had the chance to make yet that you're just itching to do? Um, I'd like to really have a good budget to go do a sci-fi film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you know, uh, sci-fi movies obviously take a, a tremendous budget. There's a lot of special effects. There's, um, you know, it's it's. But you know, I, I would like to. I have a couple of stories that are sci-fi related that I feel like you know, and one of them is this Oklahoma film that could be a post-apocalyptic type action film that. Um, if it, if it comes to fruition, um, could be the start of that. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, that, that would, that would be the one if someone were to say to me, you know, if, if we'll give you uh, 15 million, 20 million, whatever, what are you going to go make? I'd, I'd lean towards some sort of, um, 
uh, sci-fi piece that, um, you know, was a lot of visual effects and, and, uh, and tell a great story, you know? Very cool. Yeah. And that would be, that would really be a different, uh, a different world because the, the look of a sci-fi film is completely different. It's, you know, just uh, the glow of it uh, often uh, can be a, a, just a different way of looking at film completely. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It's, it's, uh, I, 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 I grew up reading sci-fi. I read all the L Ron Hubbard's, you know, I read Dune. I mean, I was, I, I was a sci-fi junkie and unfortunately sci-fi movies, require budgets and, and so i i tried to do one early and it didn't it didn't turn out uh, crushed velvet you know it's it's you know it's set in post-production hell now for 10 years or eight years whatever it's been because you know um there's there's just too much effects and you know not enough money to finish it you know it's and that's the thing sci-fi movies you you better plan on a lot of money in post because um you know, at least at least to make it right, at least at least to make it to where it's respectable. And, that, and that's the thing is like, if I'm going to make a film, I want to, you know, like, like Rotten Tell, I, it, it, I knew what it was going to be. It's, it's a grindhouse, silly, you know, we could do effects that were um, that were, uh, you know, 80s kind of style because that's what we were going for, you know. And so we knew it was going to be a little less expensive than actually going for something that looked like um, Marvel, you know, and um and that's the hard thing is, is right now, you know, we're in the day and age where, um, you know, Marvel and DC and these guys have, have made the movies look so good that it's it's hard to compete. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's the real challenge. And I, I think it's going to still be a while. I mean, as, as quickly as the technology is growing and it's becoming less expensive to do CGI and things like that, it's still far out of reach. But at some point it's going to balance and the things that, that Marvel's doing now will become something that you can do at home in a matter of hours. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, given another 10 years, I think, I think, you know, we might be there to where you could, you could be doing, you know, the computers are definitely getting there, um, you know, and, and so I think, yeah, but within another, you know, eight to 10 years, you could be doing a lot of the Marvel effects in, in your garage. Well, I'm still holding out hope that I will see Crushed Velvet one day because I remember when you guys were shooting it. So I, I'm going to I'm going to hope that within the next 10 years, it will all become uh, workable and you'll be able to finish it. Uh, my last question for you, though, is, as we wrap up is a little bit off the path. Uh, you know, you you have a wife and you have children and you're you know, you're on set a lot. How do you find the work life balance in all of this? Um, you know, there's times where it's not easy. For sure. I mean, I, I, I guess the 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 biggest support, the, you know, the biggest um, my I, I couldn't do this without Lori, and that and that's really where it comes down to is 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 um, there's no way I'd be where I'm at today without her. She she's come in and, and been my biggest support, my biggest fan. Um, she she picks me up when I'm down. Um, she puts me back on the path. Um, she kicks me in the face when I, when I need it. And, uh, you know, she's, 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 that's the thing is, is I, as I was very fortunate to find a, a, a great woman who, um, who, you know, has, has basically given up her career as an actress to, uh, to raise our children and, um, and been totally selfless. And, um, 
and uh, I, you know, I, I couldn't be more in awe of my wife and what she does for me. And um, that's the only that's the only reason I, I, I'm allowed to do what I do. Because if if uh, if I didn't have her and I didn't have her support, um, you know, I I don't know that I could. So that's awesome. I absolutely love that. Well, Brian, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I'm really excited about this movie coming out. And uh, we'll have the link in the show notes and also to Rotten Tail, which you guys can watch right now. But uh, best wishes for for success in this ongoing uh, just rampage you've got of projects. I appreciate it, Scott. Thank you. You bet. You take care, my friend. All right. Take care. What a lot of great inspirational, motivational stuff that was, don't you think? Um it kind of makes me want to get uh, behind the, what would it be, the clapboard and be a director, but I that's not something I want to do. And clearly I should not be in casting, <laughs> at least not for film. But uh, yeah, thanks so much, Brian. Uh, everybody go out and check out that movie. Links are in the show notes. Also remember to like and share the Haskin Cast podcast. The more that you do that, the more people find out about it. It's been really nice to see the number of listens grow over the last few weeks. Thank you guys to all of you who have done that, uh, who've left a review or even at least a star rating on iTunes, Podbean, Google Play, anywhere that you're listening. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with another special episode with my dear friend Chase McKenna. You are not going to want to miss. Cheers. Cheers.